sitting down and writing for half a, half a, an hour a day is at least helping me put one foot in front of the other you know so i think it, it applies to almost any goal that i've ever had is just to start somewhere you know if you want to run a marathon you have to start by putting on yes. your shoes and you have to you have to tie them and maybe that's your only goal for the day and that's okay so all that to say i think if you can break that goal down whatever the goal is into a manageable a manageable goal that's that's always been the secret for me Hey everyone, welcome to the Caged Vision Podcast with very, very special guest, Anne Hanley, who is a, she's all things mar- content marketing. She's an author, a speaker, a trainer, and I just can't wait for you to hear her story. She's going to provide amazing encouragement and help build confidence, specifically around the topic of content marketing, and and just such a pleasure to have you here today. Tell us about, uh, fill me in a little bit about uh, what you're doing now. Sure. So thank you, first of all, for that lovely introduction. And thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here with you and everyone. Um, So yeah, so I am the chief content officer of Marketing Profs, which means that I head up all the content at Marketing Profs, anything that we publish or produce for our audience of, of marketers that helps them in turn, market their own businesses better, faster, sharper. Mm. Okay. So um, I want to come back to, because I know there's probably this journey that you've been on and went in, in sort of how you came into Marketing Prof. So um, I like to start with a little sort of rapid fire round to get to know you a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Three simple questions. Steak or fish? Fish. Beach or mountains? Beach. East or West Coast? Mm, East. East Coast. All right. Very good. So, Anne. (laughs) Those were so easy. So easy. Those literally are black and white issues for me. They are, but you know. no gray area. Well, you were very decisive. And I love. Very decisive. And that is, just so you know, that is not normally the way that I would approach a sort of binary issue like that. But those, uh, in my mind, those are very, very clear for very specific reasons. But, um, But yeah, so. Well yeah. done choosing the questions. <laughs> yeah, well, and, well, and you know, what, the only time I get uh, people when they get hung up is if they're on a diet, mm. st- steak or fish, you know, and the other is if uh, they were raised on the East Coast, but they live on the West Coast and they feel mm. somehow loyal to say East, but they really enjoy West Coast. Do you ever ask cat or dog? No, I need to, huh? That's a good one. Okay, and. Cat or dog? Dog. What kind of dog? Another divisive answer. I have a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Her name is Abby. She is 15 years old. She is 100% deaf, 50% blind. She only has one eye and she is 1000% awesome. So yeah, she is is my best friend in the entire world and, and I just love her to bits. Oh, good for you. We have one as well. Her name is Hazel. Hmm, that's a great name. And uh, yeah, she is. She is a. Uh, I have a. I have a lab named Hector. Mm. And he's just sort of a cool dude. And he's twelve. And then there's Hazel, which is she's I think four. And so. Um, what kind of dog is Hazel? Hazel's a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Oh, you're kidding me! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow! No. Oh yeah, geez. Th- she, 
She's the uh, tricolor, I guess they call her. Oh my gosh, yeah, so is Abby. Did you hear the okay. excitement in my voice? Like immediately now I am 100% engaged in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, so let's talk about Hazel and Abby. Yes, I love it, yeah. <laughs> but my, um, you know, my, my girls, I have three daughters and mm -hmm. um, one of them is really partial to the lab and one of them is super partial to Hazel. And the other one's sort of like, eh. Mm. I could take you to one. Yeah, that's funny. It's kind of a trip. We have very similar sensibilities about dogs because I have only ever had two kinds of dogs in my in my life. I've had two black labs and I have had, let's see, Abby is my third Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Yes. So I've always had either labs or spaniels. And the reason why I, I like them, which is highly relevant to the audience here today, I'm sure. <laughs> I um, promise we'll get to business. I know. Eventually we'll get there as soon as we're done talking about the um, the benefits of a, of a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Um, no, the reason why I, I like them is because they have the sort of sensibility of a lab. You know, they're very sporty and they're mm. very energetic and they are, you know, you can have them out on walks and, you know, yeah. kind of active. And I love that. Um, yeah. But at the same time, they're they're more compact and they travel a little lighter and easier. Yes, so. yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think the the two the two breeds are are so similar in so many ways. It's a nice mix. All right, on to business. And <laughs> if, if uh, okay, so if you would take me to the wayback machine, you've uh, you've started you started a business. How long ago was your first business? My first business was 1997. Okay, in 97, when you said, okay, it's time. I have got to do something. I've got this vision for something uh, bigger. It's just sort of eating away at me. Uh, tell me about that. When did you first know, I, I got I to do something about this? I think for that, we almost have to go back even further in the Wayback Machine, um, okay. way, way, way back to when I was eight years old, living north of Boston in the suburbs, and I wanted to be a writer when I was a kid at eight years old. And so my parents, like any other parent who wants to encourage their sort of bookish, writerly kind of child, they bought me a diary. You know, you buy a little yeah. diary. Yeah. I wrote in that diary for, I don't know, maybe a few weeks and I lost interest in it so quickly because it was so boring. I thought there's nothing more boring than just writing to myself, right? Just writing to me all the time, you know, my own thoughts is like, oh, this is torturous. And after a while, I just sort of cast it aside. I put it away. And what I did instead was I launched a neighborhood newsletter. So because ah. this was pre-internet, times, right? The only thing I could do was write it on a typewriter. I, I went mm. down to my dad's office uh, downstairs in our house and I used my dad's typewriter and I wrote a neighborhood newsletter. I went out and I observed what was going on in the neighborhood. In some cases, I interviewed some people. I wrote about things that were really, really important, like the fact that our next door neighbor got a new mailbox. You know, that was a <laughs> and watershed <breaking>. moment. <laughs> and breaking news. Yeah. I mean, there was no one else covering topics to the depth that I was, you know. Yeah. And you so, had the lock on, oh, you had the lock uh, on yeah. that market. Oh, uh, yeah. I locked it down hard. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, I was reporting on things, or the neighbor who was flouting the leash laws in the town, uh, which yeah. I was terrified of this massive dog that was roaming the neighborhood, speaking of dogs. Yeah. Um, and so I ratted them out in that. And my dad took this to his office. He Xeroxed it, brought him home in his briefcase, handed them to me, and I delivered them on my bike. 
that was really the first time my open rate, by the way, hundred percent, hundred percent on that newsletter, because mm. how could it not be right? You're going to yeah. open up this newsletter from this neighbor kid who's a little weird kid delivering on her bike. Um, but that was really my first lesson in the power of publishing and the power of writing to not just find out what you think about things, but to express it to an audience and to really to build community. Uh, Every, everything that I've done, I kid you not, has come from that that moment, that time when I thought writing for yourself is so boring. I don't want to write in a diary and put it away and hide it from who, who cares? My life was so boring and pedestrian. But what I did love was using writing to connect with other people. So fast forward to college. I went to school for journalism. I got a job right out of school working at a, a B2B publication in downtown Boston, covering the banking and, and real estate and financial markets. Um, eventually I went to work for the Boston Globe all along the through line was writing to build community and so when the internet happened in the mid 90s really was when mm. it became you know sort of commercially more popular partner uh, of mine at the time a friend of mine at the time formed a business clickz.com mm -hmm. which is one of the first sources of how to market on this nascent thing called the internet mm. so we covered things like banner ads and banner ad design and website design and then when email started happening we had one of the first email conferences in 1999 in boston massachusetts an so, email conference an email yeah about email <laughs> marketing because yeah. this was like a pretty new thing at that yeah, time breaking, you know the idea yeah. of an an email list was really pretty new. Listservs had been around, of course, but the idea of a business using email to market to their customers or prospects, it's like, it's so funny how revolutionary that was in 1999, yeah. but it kind of was. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was really my first for, foray into, into publishing. Um, you know, it, I came up through journalism and I came up through this idea of w always wanting to to have my own business and to always want to have my own sort of community, I guess. Okay. So I want to go back to the eight year old Anne, because there are a couple of questions as you, so one of the things that you wrote in your book um, is that, and you, and you said it earlier, you said it several times is that you, you don't like, don't write to yourself, mm -hmm. right? Write to your community or to your audience. So is, so when you were, when you started writing, when you received that journal, did you think, okay, this is a journal and so therefore I have to journal about my day and, and that's about me and I don't like that? Or you just, it, you didn't feel that the need to tell a story and sort of journalism was that natural thing for you? Yeah, I was not really a very good journalist is the reality. <laughs> and so, you know, here's, here's a story about that, for example, is that when I was working at the Globe, my editor at the time, a, a fantastic guy by the name of Dick Powers, who has since passed away, he'd been at the Globe forever, I don't know, for like a thousand years or something like that. Fantastic editor. He sent me out to cover a fire. And when I got to the, the place, the, the house um, where the fire had happened, I noticed all of these old books out on the lawn. And when I got out of my car, the first thing that that I thought of was, why does it smell like McDonald's in here? Why does it smell mm, like McDonald's yeah. at this fire? So it turns out that the house housed a collection of antique books, which were bound with hide glue, right? And so mm. when hide glue burns, it smells like, like, you know, like <laughs> animal fat. And that's yeah. why it smelled like McDonald's. So 
I ended up doing this whole story about these books and about how they ended up, it turns out that they were from Germany. A lot of them were German language books yeah. and how they were smuggled out um, during World War II era and how they ended up in this house and a little bit of better background of the people who own the house and so yeah. on. Yeah. I got back to the newsroom and I, I submitted my story and Dick Powers said to me, this is a fantastic story this is not what I can run because he wanted a story about the fire and the fact that the municipality had taken more time than they should have to respond oh, to this fire. Yeah, yeah. That was the story. I completely missed it. And the reason I missed it is because I really do have more of a storytelling mentality mm -hmm. than a straight up journalism mentality. So all that to say, to answer your original question, um, you know, when I would write in my journal, I just, I, I almost approached it like a journalist, like recording what happened during the day. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now my brother got a new bike. Um, you know, we had spaghetti and meatballs for dinner. You know, yeah. and I just thought, this is this is so boring. And, and it's because now when I look back on it, it's because I thought, oh, this is what a diary is for. It's to write down what happens as opposed to what I thought was more interesting, which was to use the opportunity to tell stories to connect with people in a way that put whatever was going on in the context of their lives. Okay, so next question as it relates to eight-year-old Anne. Um, so you decide I'm going to write a newsletter or a community um, letter mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm gonna ride my bike around and I'm gonna either, and I'm gonna offer it. Is it, was it for free, is that? Oh yeah, it was 100% for free. 100% yeah, for yeah. free, okay. But still, you're, you're at a point where Either you're extremely bored or you're just beyond the point of saying, I'm a, you know, I could get rejected and nobody would want it. And that just doesn't bother me. Had that, did that even cross your mind? I don't think that I ever really thought about that. I, I never thought about asking for permission or I never thought about what the, audience's reaction would be. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know why, maybe it's because I was eight years old and I had a little tiny eight-year-old ego that just couldn't couldn't look outside of that, I'm not sure. Um, I think it was more that I thought these were stories about us, you know, that, that in other words, this was just my neighborhood. And mm -hmm. so I thought that these are stories that relate to everybody and wouldn't everybody want to know what was going on. So yeah, I guess I sort of thought of it that way. Yes. It never occurred to me that somebody wouldn't want it. And bear in mind that it's, you know, it's not like I went up to people and said, hey, hello, can I interest you in this yeah. newsletter that I have available? It wasn't anything like that. I literally would, I, I did it in, in sort of, um, you know, completely under the radar. It just showed up in their mailbox one day. And my neighbors were like a few of their moms, uh, the moms would say to my mom, you know, oh, that's cute that she's doing that. And I would just be like, eh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, like, I never, I never sought approval for it. And yeah. in that way, I don't think I ever really needed it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, the reason I asked the question that way is because obviously the podcast is called the Caged Vision Podcast. Mm. And there's probably a lot of people that had some idea along the way. It might not have been doing exactly what you've done, but they thought about it. They really had a desire to do it and they never acted on it. Mm. And, and it's sort of they're stuck on go. So what is there, I mean, we don't have to stick to eight-year-old Anne, although I'm having a lot of fun with eight-year-old Anne. What, tell me about, you know, beyond that, when, when, have, you, when have you said, this is something I want to do? What do you believe makes you take the first step, take action? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think that I've always been self-driven in the sense that I've always wanted to, well, two things actually. Number one, I've always wanted to not work for anybody else. And I honestly don't know where this, this comes from because I never was all that independent in a lot of other ways. You know, I'm the youngest of four, for example. Um, I am kind of like a golden retriever to keep with our dog theme today in the sense yeah. of, you know, yeah. wanting to connect with other people and wanting people to like me and, you know, having that kind of vibe about me. But at the same time, I really do love um, having my own business and working out of my own house and creating a life that's more or less on my terms. And so, that was really always what it was. It wasn't so much that I had a, a real like drive to start a business. Like I had this idea and I want to do this. I mean, there was a, elements of that throughout what I've done in my career so far where I see an opportunity and I think somebody needs to do this and I'm going to do it. Click Z was a great example of that in 1997. But at the same time, you know, I think it's more driven by almost my lifestyle like mm. needs, you know, yeah, and I don't yeah. use that word needs like in a sort of, you know, I really mean it. It's, I need to have a lot of time, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm making my own choices, you know, when I'm living life the way that I want to live and not feeling like I have to be in an office at nine o'clock in the morning and I have to stay there until five o'clock in the afternoon and I have to have so many meetings a day. I mean, every career is going to have aspects of that, but I think your mindset or my mindset anyway has always been, it's different when you're doing it for you and your business as opposed mm -hmm. to feeling mm -hmm. that you're doing it to fulfill the objectives of another organization or entity or boss. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? No, it makes complete sense. And I'm going <coughs> to, excuse me, I'm going to, um, I'm going to go a little off course on this next question because um, I want to, I want to speak to, uh, the one thing that separates business leaders that you've seen and you've experienced and you've helped uh, from those that, um, that have a vision, you know, what, what do you think separates those two that have a vision and then those that really don't see it through? And if I could put a little caveat to it, let's say in marketing. So as it relates to their business and, as it relates to marketing, because I think there are so many business owners and I'm certainly one of them. When I started, I had no appreciation for marketing and now I absolutely love marketing, but I'm, I'm playing catch up. I really am. I'm way behind. Mm. I mean, yeah. When I think about the key to great marketing, I think it's also true for accomplishing anything really is mastering anything. And that's just, starting somewhere, starting small. Mm -hmm. um, I've written two books, for example, and each one of those books only happened, I mean, writing a book is a massive undertaking, right? Okay. I talk about this in Everybody Writes, but which is my second book. Um, but I talk about this in there where, you know, writing a book is like birthing a Volkswagen, right? It's just, <laughs> it's a lot of work and it's really uncomfortable. And, you know, it just, it, it just, you do most of it while crying, you know, it's just not fun. And I think learning anything new or doing anything big is like that too. And so, you know, when I think about businesses who are most successful with their marketing, 
they do a few things well. I mean, they understand their value in the market. And by value, I don't mean in the monetary sense. I mean that they really understand their story and how they fit into the context of other people's lives, like mm. why they matter to you and to me. And they're very good about telling that story consistently, consistently over time. And they're very good about starting, somewhere like starting to tell that story. Um, you know, so the the through line between, you know, doing something big and, and hard and hairy, like writing a book and learning how to market a business well, I think is just showing up every single day and doing a little bit, you know, because you can't sit down and write a 60,000 word book. But right. my goal every single day, and I'm actually doing this right now because I'm in the midst of working on my third book. My goal right now is to just sit down and write one sentence, one mm. sentence. That's it. Mm. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how long the sentence is. It can be two words, but I have to write one sentence a day. And of course, I have been doing this now for a couple of weeks and I have never written just one sentence, right? But it gets me in the chair. It gets my butt in the chair and it makes yeah. me focus okay, this is the time for me to do this. And I don't have hours and hours during the day. I sometimes only have half an hour, but sitting down and writing for half, a, half a, an hour a day is at least helping me put one foot in front of the other. You know, So I think it, it applies to almost any goal that I've ever had is just to start somewhere. You know, If you want to run a marathon, you have to start by putting on yes. your shoes and you have, to, you have to tie them. And maybe that's your only goal for the day and that's okay. So all that to say, I think if you can break that goal down, whatever the goal is, into a manageable, a manageable goal, that's that's always been the secret for me. So good, um, so good. Yeah, in your book, everybody writes. I've got to give. I'm not done with it yet, but I've got to get a plug. Give a plug because you early in the book you start talking about. Um, you know, it's great to you know talk high level and and sort of conceptual but you need to give some specifics because people want specifics. And you, in your book, you do, there's like, I don't know, 12 or 13 specific steps that you go through. And it's, it's really, really good. I've, um, it's, it's a, you've done, you've mastered that uh, high level and then detailed as well. So thanks yeah. for that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate that. I mean, it's, it's the way that my brain works, but I also think that it's the way that a lot of us want to be right it's i need the high level inspiration i want to have the big picture but i also need actionable steps and there's anything i hate is i've read so many business books or i've gone to so many business talks and at the very end of a talk or a speech or of a book i think to myself well that was amazing but now what now <laughs> you know what? what do i do next and I've, I never want to leave my reader or my listener or anybody without a sense of like, what next? What do I do now? I need to take a first step. Um, and so I actually think that's my journalism training too, because in journalism school, you know, one of the great things that I learned there was always make it as small as possible, right? Make the story smaller, make it as specific as possible, mm. because you can't talk about a fire that happens at a house without talking about something very specific that was affected by it. And so that was just something that I've, I've, I learned as a journalism student and it's really just served me well throughout my career as well. Hmm. I love that. It's very good. Um, okay. So maybe we can, we can pivot to click Z or, or marketing profit. You, you pick, but <laughs> um, 
tell me about you have this idea once it's formed sort of in early stages how do you how do you sort of test it out and and validate it maybe maybe sort of click z may be the right uh, story for this one yeah it actually kind of applies to both okay. um so with with click z and to some degree with marketing profs too although marketing profs is very similar to click z um so i guess it, it, that's why i say it applies to both uh very similar in the sense of our approach to teaching marketers how to market because i mean heads up right i i i head up content at both places or i have i did head up or i i did it one and i am at the other yeah. so all that to say it has a very similar approach okay um but when when i was at click z or when we started click z i really what i what i felt was missing or, or what you know my business partner at the time thought was missing was a practical how to use the internet to market online and again at the time most websites if a company had a website it was basically looked like a brochure you know it was very static it didn't yeah, do anything yeah. it didn't answer questions for yeah. people and so what i wanted to do or, or what our approach was was let's answer questions for people let's just figure mm. out how can we use this tool to market online now i wasn't a marketer at the time per se i mean i knew a little bit about marketing because i had mm. worked as a business journalist but i didn't go to school for marketing and i didn't know the answers to things and i don't know how to get every last pixel to download in a banner ad like i don't know what that is i don't know what measurement looks like right. and so we found the the experts um we found the people who had the answers who were really in the trenches who were figuring it out and we approached them and asked them to write for us and to share what they knew to become columnists and that was that was always our approach so super practical way to think about using the internet at the time to market um and the same is is true for for marketing process as well but the approach was always what's the question in the mind of the audience what mm. are the, what do people need help with what's going on and how did we figure that out we found out by subscribing to lists and listening to what people were talking about what they were asking and again this is pre-social media now it's so much easier to find out what's on the mind of your customers and what questions that they have this was pre-google <laughs> so wow. um so it was a lot harder in the sense that the information just wasn't it just wasn't nearly as abundant as it is now and so a lot of that had you know how do we find out what what questions were is just listening listening and at the time that was a lot of um listening on email lists participating in conversations and just really trying to hear what are people struggling with what questions do they have what do they want to do or what are they trying to do and then creating content that answered those questions and i don't know that if if the listeners don't have a business yet um mm -hmm. uh, you i, I want to emphasize how simple yet brilliant that advice is it is so good listening to your audience versus formulating a solution for a problem that you don't know whether i mean you, it feels good to you but you don't know whether or not that's a real problem they'd pay for you to solve and just simple listening mm. such a great takeaway yeah and i think the other piece of that is 
aligning yourself with the audience. And so I think one of the things that was true of, of Clixie, and it's also true of marketing profs, is yes, we have an expertise, and yes, we can go to the experts to help you solve problems, but we are you, you know, mm, in the yeah. sense that we are aligned with you. We're helping you figure this out too. So I always talk about marketing through two different lenses of trust and affinity. So the mm. trust piece is, do I, do I trust you? Do I think that you have the best solution to my problems? Do I feel like you understand my problems best? That's the trust piece. But the second piece of that is the affinity. So affinity is, do I like you? And I think about this, I, I almost obsess about it because I want everything that we do as a business to be trustworthy. So that just doesn't mean the you know, the information that we're giving to, in our case, marketers who are our audience, but also on our social channels, for example, you know, I want to be trustworthy. I want to make mm. sure that our content is vetted, that we are giving the very best answers that we can. But at the same time, the affinity piece of it is, you know, we want to be personable. We want to mm. be in it with you. We want to be figuring this out together. And so that's how I approach it. It's never a sense of, um, of I have all the answers and I'm telling you what I feel about things or we, you know, whoever it is, mm. use you as much as possible on your website, you know, things like that that you can do to really make sure that your audience understands that you are aligned with them, that you want to build affinity with them and that you get them. And don't rush to the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, that's, that's great advice. I think, you know, you, you've, um, you know, John Jantz, Yes, very well. Yeah, I was just emailing yeah. with him today. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Um, so I, I bought John's book, Duct Tape Marketing, uh, way back, way back. I don't know, five, six years ago, and then actually did some work with John. But I, that was my first sort of um, entree into content and content marketing and, and and writing. And I have to your earlier point, just sitting down and forcing yourself to write. But then. I think if you want to speak to a community on a consistent basis, you have to say what you want to say consistently mm -hmm. and almost without an agenda. It's all about them, not you. Right. Um, how do you, how do you help people with that? If they've never done it before beyond after they buy your book, mm -hmm. then, then what do they do? I want people just to start somewhere. Um, and, you know, the title of Everybody Writes is Everybody Writes because literally everyone does write. <laughs> and so um, as relates specifically to writing, you know, I, I want people to have tiny goals, you know, just do something every single day, even if it's just write a sentence on social media, even if it's, you know, again, just to start your business or to market your business yeah. or whatever the case may be, um, you know, start somewhere, start somewhere that feels right for you and manageable for you. Hmm. Um, but also, you know, I wanted everybody to embrace the power that I think we all have as writers. Um, I don't think that writers are a class of people that are set apart from society. I think we all are capable of good writing. That's why the subject line, I mean, that's why the, uh, the tagline is your guide to ridiculously good content, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not great content necessarily. Some of it may end up being, but I think everyone is capable of, of good, solid writing. And I wanted it, the book to feel accessible. I wanted it to feel fun. And I wanted people to feel inspired and to have some real practical tools, you know, some ways that they can start thinking about, um, you know, writing 
on social media for an audience and how to put yourself in the mindset of your audience and how do you actually show up for them in a way that they care about, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I think the most important thing is just showing up and yeah. doing something, just like do something every single day. Ooh, Set I a tiny goal for yourself and, and just, you know, don't like, like Jerry Seinfeld has this, had this uh, great quote at one point, which is probably something that he still does, but he writes every single day. He writes comedy every mm. single day. Mm. And his goal is, is only not to break the chain. You know, so yeah. every day he's going to show up. And I think that's like such a beautiful small goal to have. And it's something that I think about a lot too. Just never break the chain. Even make that promise to yourself. You're just, I don't know, like the, the world just seems a whole lot more optimistic when you, when you are willing to not break that promise to yourself. And so achievable because you've made it yeah. into a small goal. So, all right. So people can be, um, you know, consistent and, 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 and do, have small goals, but how do they know when, when they're, who they're writing to? When, how do they know when it's working? So... I guess it depends on on who you're writing, like what what your goal is, like who you're writing mm. to. I mean, it's it's different if you're like if right, let's just say that you're um, you're writing. Uh, I'm just trying to think of an example. All right, so I started an email newsletter a year and yeah. a half ago. Okay, um, it's m one of my most favorite things I do, and I do a lot of things that I really love, but publishing my email newsletter, it's like, it brings me back to being eight years old and just riding around the neighborhood on my bike. It just brings me such joy. There is real, there's no real business goal behind it in the sense that I'm not selling anything there. I'm not selling marketing profs, um, products and services. I'm not selling tickets to our events. I'm not doing anything commercial there. But that said, you know, it brings me a lot of personal joy and I do it because I want to. And so my goal for that is I look at, I, I have thought of ahead of time, you know, what, are, what am I actually trying to do here? What, so what is my goal? Like, let's define what my goal is. And when I know what my goal is, then I'll figure out, okay, how am I going to measure that from an audience point of view? So my goals are, um, is, the, is the list growing, right? That's sort of mm -hmm. an obvious one with an email mm -hmm. newsletter. But more importantly, I don't necessarily look at things like click-throughs because again, it's, I don't really, I don't really care about that as much, but one of the things I look at is how many people write back to me, you know, every, I try to build in some kind of interaction in every email newsletter. So in that way, when I get more than X number of people writing back to me and like hitting reply on my email newsletter and writing back to me directly and giving me feedback on something, then I know that it's a win, you know, so I think it's incumbent on you as the person who is looking to grow something, whether that's a business or whether that's a social presence or, mm. you know, whatever the case may be, or whether you're trying to launch something, just figure out the, what the goal is. And then what's the action that will correspond to that? Like what's the buddy action <laughs> that will, that will map to that. So that's a really simple example of, of yeah. just of yeah. how I think about, whether uh, how I think about whether I'm measuring what the, whether I'm measuring the the uh, whatever the thing is that I'm doing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and and building trust and affinity that's a that doesn't happen overnight. And so if if yes. that's your if that's your long if that's your if you got tiny little goals that get you started, your long term goal. I mean, that you you're building credibility with your audience each each newsletter. So. 
Mm, yeah, that's a really, really good point. Right. And the newsletter is only one piece of that, right? That's how I'm showing up in a certain way into a certain audience. But yeah, I love your point about it is long term. I almost everything I do, I, I play the long game. And, and um, I, I just I never I, I do. That's how I think about um, almost everything that I'm building is that because to your point, you know, trust does take time to develop. You can't, yeah. you can't, it's not going to happen in a week or two. Um, it's going to happen long-term. Mm. I love it. All right. Tell me about the next 10 years. What do you have planned? What's, what's your vision for um, what you've got going on? Mm. So uh, let me think. Uh, so right now I, as I mentioned, I'm working on my third, third book. book. Yep. So that it, it's a, um, Primarily done in, is that primarily done in the tiny house? It, yeah, actually, it is. In fact, I'm I'm in the tiny house right now. Have you um, really? Have you watched a tiny house on? Uh, uh, there's a show called Tiny House. I have not. No, some so many people have recommended it to me though. So just to be clear to your to the audience, I don't actually live in a tiny house. Yeah, no. I live in a normal sized house. But it's a, it's a writer's house, right? It's like a little writer's cottage. Yes, yeah, writer's I call cottage. it the TH. I call it the tiny house. Yeah, yeah. It's um it's in a corner of my backyard, so I can see my house from my tiny house. And the reason why I built it is because I wanted this sort of sacred space where I could just that would just be dedicated to me um, working out of a spare bedroom just got old after a while yeah. um, constant interruptions constant just pull of everything and so I just I needed a space that had a different kind of mindset and so that's why I built the tiny house so it's technically not a tiny house because it doesn't have it doesn't plumbing. have wheels it doesn't have wheels no and it does not have wheels no it's stationary and so, stationary um, does it have heat Yes, it does. It has heat okay. and it has the best internet connection because it's hardwired. So yeah, and you got yeah. like a cool little porch on it, right? I do. Yeah, I have a little porch. And there's on the and there's one with your puppy on mm -hmm. there. Exactly. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. All right, back to the show. <laughs> All right, next ten years. Right. So um. So yeah. So I'd like to do another book. Um. And and really grow beyond. So I'm really I'm known for content marketing, as you mentioned at the at the outset of our conversation today. Um, but in my mind, you know, content is no longer a separate thing, if it ever was. And I guess I would argue that maybe it never was. Um, but content is not separate from marketing. Increasingly, it's being embraced as part of marketing. It's throughout the organization, not even just marketing anymore. And so the way that I think about content these days is that it's just such a it's a it's a bigger thing it's not just yeah. it's not just a separate little silo within the content within the marketing department now it is essentially throughout the organization um and so in in that way i think of marketing um is I, i'm thinking of marketing more broadly as well mm -hmm. um and I also think that, you know, kind of where we're at is, you know, from a business point of view, just in marketing more broadly, hmm. we content marketing in its modern inception has been around for, I don't know, 10, 11 years, something like that. Um, content rules, my first book came out at the end of 2010. So yeah, almost, almost 10 years ago, as we're having this conversation today. So um, I think that we're, you know, organizations and people really do understand that content is the thing that they need to is, is sort of the, the fuel for their marketing. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of really bad stuff out there. And so just helping businesses 
figure out that they don't have to be everywhere and do everything that in so many cases, I think the smarter approach is to do less and obsess and to slow down with what we're doing and be very thoughtful in how we're approaching not just our content, but our marketing. So that's kind of the direction that I'm going in, really helping businesses navigate, um, you know, sort of where we're at in 2019 and beyond. So is that, is that the topic that you cover in your newsletter? In my newsletter, I talk about marketing, I talk about writing, I talk about life, I talk about just, you know, anything that delights me, really, and I hope delights the audience, because um, it's, that's more of a, it's, it's, I would say it's not necessarily about that, per se, it does cover yeah. that, but yeah. I talk a lot about writing in there, too. Very good, very good. All right, and how do people get in touch with you? How do they sign up for their, your newsletter, if they like, uh, and where, where would they find your book? So if, if uh, you can go to annhanley.com slash newsletter and sign up for my newsletter. And by the way, it comes out once every two weeks. So I will not overwhelm your inbox. It's, it's, very, um, it's very, very sporadic. I mean, every two weeks is all I can manage and I, it's, it's working just fine. Nice. Um, so that's number one. I just hit 20,000 subscribers. So that was wow. kind of a watershed moment for me. I know. Very, when did you, now, when did you start this? Uh, a year ago, January, so about a year and a half. That is tremendous. Of course, you've got you've got uh, quite a number of fans out there. You got a little head start. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it's true. But you know, it's been very, very slow growth. Like there's, I, there was never a moment where I got thousands and thousands of subscribers. I mean, it's not like when the Pope comes on Twitter, right? And he goes from having zero followers to like, you know, 3 million within 20 minutes, right? It was right. never like that. So yeah, I guess I did have a head start in the sense that people kind of know who I am. But you know, also, I mean, I'm, I'm not a very big deal at all. And so I've I never had that moment. Really, it's been very slow growth. I mean, just uh, over time, you know, mm. as most most good marketing programs are just slow growth over time and building that trust and affinity. So I, yeah, I, I love that. And, um, you, I, I think I interrupted you and I apologize. AnnHanley.com okay. is where you said. Oh yeah. AnnHanley.com right? slash newsletter <laughs> is the newsletter. You can find my books on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Um, I have two content rules, which helps businesses understand the value of content marketing within an organization yeah. or content to marketing. Um, and how to produce things like podcasts like this or videos or webinars or white papers or any of those things. So it's very tactical in its approach. Um, and my other book is Everybody Writes, which goes a little bit deeper into content creation and helping all of us become better writers. Um, but uh, like, again, I wrote that book because I want people to feel excited about writing and feel excited about the opportunity. The last thing the world needs is a boring book about writing. So it's, I hope it's not boring. Um, I tried to not make it so and people tell me that it's it's a fun book so no it, it is and i'll tell yeah. you i i'm an auditory learner so i listen to books on audible mm. and as i go through and i bookmark as i go through and if i start booking then i turn around and buy it on amazon so you're going to get a double dip from me because <laughs> i want to go back and reference you know all of the things in your book is chock full of takeaways and steps so yeah i have a choice either i or listen to it again and take notes that would be dumb or buy your book so i'm going to do that all right last question for you ann if you could give your 20 year old self one piece of advice what would it be mm. 20 year old 
or maybe eight, maybe eight year old. Um, hmm. Let's see. Other than like buy Amazon stock, right? When it comes out. <laughs> Is that a valid tip? Yeah, that, that, I really wish I'd done that. Yeah. Well, back in the day, we, you know, for me, it was Walmart. And <laughs> so I had the, I had the Walmart warning and the Amazon warning, missed them both, but. Wow. Um, you know, I think the only thing I would tell myself is just to not be so, well, that sounds so negative. Um, no, it, but go it's the only, go. It, it's the only thing I, get, I know, it's the only thing I can think of. I would say I spent a lot of time worrying about what, uh, I spent a lot of time in fear. Like I spent a lot of time thinking that, um, like public speaking, for example, is a classic example here. I've always hated being the center of attention. I always mm. hated like the idea of standing up on stage, even when I was a child in Glee Club, like was just so, it was just so deeply embarrassing to me that I barely could do it. You know, in them talking about being in a, in a Glee Club, like with a hundred mm. other kids. Um, and so to go from that to now, you know, now I stand on stage in front of thousands of people at a time and, and, um, and I love public speaking. And I think the reason why I didn't do it for so long is because I somehow was just, I was terrified of it, you know? And I think one of the things that I have learned as a grown up is just that the only way through, that the only way to, to get past fear is just to run straight at it, right? And I'm not the first person to say that, but it is so true. And I think there are lessons for that, not, not as relates just to public speaking, but almost anything. Like if you have something that you really care about and you really want to do, just don't let fear hold you back. Like just take a tiny step and figure out a, a way forward um, and just and run straight at it. Oh, and I'm so glad you didn't abandon that thought because I think you've really, really tapped into what a lot of people, if they've got vision that's caged, if they're stuck, if they're sitting on go, it's probably fear that's holding them back. Mm. It's that it's that uncertainty of, well, what would happen if, and, uh, you know, I like to say, uh, make a plan, think through what the worst case scenario would be if the plan didn't work, and then work like hell to make the plan happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I am as guilty of this as anyone. It's easy to throw up a lot of roadblocks and it's easy to say, well, I can't do that now because, but in a lot of cases, they all, it all maps back to fear very mm. frequently. Mm. And so I think just being honest with yourself too, about what is actually holding you back and not letting those excuses get in the way because life will throw you as many excuses as it can, you know, until one of them sticks. And then it's like, ha I got you. You know, like it sometimes feels that way. Um, and so I think it's incumbent on all of us to say, we're not going to allow that to happen. We're going to just run straight through it, run straight at it. But, you know, like to, to your point, be smart about it. You know, I'm not yeah. talking about quitting your job tomorrow because I don't think that's a smart approach either. Um, when I started ClickSee, I was still working as a journalist. I was still working full time. And I did that until the business started to throw off enough money that we could support ourselves and then I quit my job. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's having the tenacity and, and running at it, but also, you know, keeping your head in it too. Yeah. And being smart. Yeah, for sure. Well, and each week we have one goal and that's to provide encouragement and build confidence to those that have cage vision or really want to do something. They want, they're stuck on go and they, they just need a little bit of encouragement and, and certainly confidence. And you deliver that today. Thank you so much for being on the show. I cannot wait 
for our listeners to hear your this episode. Thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome, Jetson. Mm-hmm.